I googled the other day, dumb things parents say. It came up with three or four different lists, and all of them had some of the same things on it. So I just want to spend a couple minutes talking about some of the dumb things parents say. Now, I, never, I said I would never say some of these, but I have said some of these. And I'm guaranteeing you, you will say something like this eventually as well. Here's one of the things that showed up on every list of dumb things parents say. I brought you into this world, and I can... Yeah, I don't know if parents actually say that or not, but it just shows up on a list. In fact, in fact, if your parents do say it, I don't think they're really thinking about it because usually it's said to some type in, in response to some kind of irritation. You haven't cleaned your room and mom or dad comes after you for it and you get smart mouth with them and he says, hey, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. Seriously, is murder an appropriate response to being a smart mouth? I, I mean, it's just, you go, What? How about this one? Do you want a spanking? <laughs> Duh. <laughs> or this kid is crying and mom says, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. It's like they've suddenly joined the parent mafia. <laughs> hey, if you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> you want to cry? Just, just give me a chance. It, does it ever work? Does the kid stop crying? Here's another one. A little kid is, is, is hurt because somebody has picked on him in school. And they come complaining to mom. Mommy, they called me a bad name. And mommy gets down on her knees and she just wants to be helpful. And she says, honey, just remember, sticks and stones may break your bones. But yeah, what a crock that is. I mean, first of all, words do hurt. That's why the kid's crying. <laughs> but secondly, if you follow it out to its logical conclusion, what you're trying to teach your child is that what you say doesn't really matter, that what someone says to you shouldn't have any impact on you. So consequently, what you say to someone else shouldn't have any impact on them. So you can be mean, you can be cruel, you can lie, you can do whatever you want to do because mom says words don't matter. Here's one that my mom used to say to me with some frequency. In fact, well into my adulthood, she would say that. As I was getting ready to leave, she'd say, drive safely as if, what? I wasn't going to? Or like, I always wanted to say, well, you know, mom, thanks for telling me that because I was gonna drive with reckless abandon and no regard to the law. <laughs> but because you asked me to, I will drive safely. You ever notice how badly timed some of your parents' advice is? You're walking in from the kitchen, you got a plate of cookies and you got a glass of milk or a cup of coffee and you stub your toe on, the, uh, on a table there and you know, everything starts to go and mom, after you've already chipped, says, careful. <laughs> Shouldn't that have been about five seconds earlier? The early bird gets the worms. Who cares? <laughs> if I wanted worms, then I'd have to get up in the morning. But this hurts me more than it hurts you. Yeah, that's what parents say. Can I confess something to you? The Apostle Paul once wrote something in 1 Corinthians that feels like a dad thing to me. Feels like one of those dumb things that somebody wrote and you go, really? Really? 
At least it felt that way for a long time. It felt dumb, it felt audacious, it felt stupid, it felt risky. In 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul is concluding a rather lengthy bit of instruction about Christian freedom and the freedom of your conscience and how you respond when there are questionable issues. And he's been discussing with them what to do if you're having dinner with someone and you discover that the meat they're giving you has been offered to idols and has thus been, been tainted by being offered in a uh, sacrifice to a pagan god. Now, quite honestly, that's not something we deal with much anymore. As far as I know, Baldwin food is idol-free. <laughs> but it was a big deal for the first century Christian community. Should I eat it? Should I avoid it? What's the best thing to do? What's the right thing to do? And in this lengthy teaching, Paul asserts the importance of human freedom. But he gives us some guidance. And I want to pick up right at the end of his instruction in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. This is what the scripture says. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. As we unpack that a little bit, verse 31 is all about bringing honor to Christ. And I'm really good with that. Everything we do should make Jesus look good. He writes that, and that's one of my favorite verses that I return to again and again and again and again and again to in life. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. My life exists to bring honor to God. I'm okay with that verse. Verses 32 and 33 about... about, um, not seeking your own good, but the good of many so they may be saved. I was always pretty good with that as well. That, that if we understand the scripture properly and if we understand life properly, it's not about me, it's not about you, it's about ministering to that other person and living so that other person, because of our lives, comes to Christ. And I'm good with that. Here's the verse that always gave me trouble. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And I thought, how audacious. It's like Paul saying, take off your WWJD bracelet and put on a WWPD bracelet. Instead of saying, what would Jesus do? Ask, what would Paul do? And that just seemed risky to me. It seemed egotistical to me. What in the world is Paul saying? Take your eyes off Jesus and watch me. But the more I've thought about it and reflected on it through the years, the more I realize it's not egotistical, it's realistic. Because we tend to interpret life, and we tend to interpret scripture, and we tend to interpret faith through the lenses of those who've influenced us. First of all, we are all influenced by others. That's a major thought I want us to stick in our minds today. We are. We are influenced by others. They make a difference in our lives. I mean, it's easy to see that with fashion. I, I spoke Saturday at um, an orientation for transfer students. And I brought a yearbook from 1971. Patty and I are actually on the cover of the Indiana Wesleyan yearbook from that year. And as I flipped through the pages, I looked at some of the fashions. I thought, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, the lapels on men's suits were out to the edge of their shoulders. They were wide enough you could surf on them. I remember once having a tie made out of drapery material, and it was an easy six inches wide. 
And you look back at those pictures and you go, why did I dress that way? And you look at your parents' pictures from high school and college and you said, what in the world were they thinking? Just wait, you'll become your parents. In 15 years, your kids will look at your pictures from now and they'll go, why did you dress that way? I mean, why do you wear skinny jeans? It's because the fashion world says skinny jeans are in. Pretty soon we're going to be wearing bell bottoms again because the fashion world is trying to change that because they always have to be selling new clothes. I would guarantee you I will walk over to Macon today and even though it's cold out and even though it's snowy and icy out, there will be some woman sitting there and she will be wearing a top that doesn't have any shoulders in it. Why? On a day like this, why? Here's the answer, because the fashion world says it's fashionable. We wear what we wear because we want to look good, and this is what culture says looks good, and we're, we're influenced by it. And I don't know that there's anything right or wrong by that. It's just that in the fashion world, fashion influences us. It's not the only place where influence matters in our lives. Think of some of the values that our world shares. This will be something foreign to many of you, but there was a time in our society, in North America, in the United States, in the Midwest, a place where I grew up, a place where many of you grew up, where you could not shop on Sundays because no stores were open. Grocery stores weren't open, gas stations were rarely open, department stores weren't open, you couldn't go to Kmart, nothing was open. Why? Because it was the Lord's Day, it was Sunday, and they just stayed closed so people could go to church, so their employees could go to church. Now, now you can go to the store, any store virtually, except Chick-fil-A. Uh, and some of you wish, why don't they open on Sunday? Then someone would have to work on Sunday just to take care of you. They're trying to honor the Lord's Day. Did you know that divorce was once uncommon in our society and now it's common? Did you know that in our society, people didn't used to live together without benefit of marriage, and now more people do, it seems, than don't before they're married? Isn't that long ago when most Americans disapproved of same-sex relationships? In the eyes of culture, these things have changed, and we are subtly influenced by them and have to guard ourselves about them. Now, I'm not preaching about that stuff today. I'm preaching about the power of influence. See, at a, at a very personal level, we're all influenced by someone. If the people we hang around with like chapel, we tend to like chapel. If the people who we hang around with disrespect chapel, we tend to disrespect chapel. I mean, that's how it works. The same thing is true about Baldwin food. The same thing is true about a specific professor or living in dorms. Do you know that IWU was recently named or recognized as having the number one dorms in the state of Indiana for college? And, and yet, yeah, that's good. Then why do so many of you want to move out of them? I mean, for, for, for the summer, I lived in a rental property nearby while, while someone was, while we were having a new house built. And I'm, I'm living in that property, and the guy was very gracious to us and very kind to us, and, and he gave us a break on the rent, and we didn't have to sign a long-term lease. But I thought, how bad does dorm life have to be to make this place attractive? And that's some of the places that you guys want to move into next year. We get influenced by people who say, ah, who wants to live in dorms? Let me land on another issue. It's maybe the more important one. We're all influenced by others in the area of faith. We watch people. 
And they set an example for us. Sometimes it's a bad example. You ever thought if that's what being a Christian is all about, I don't want anything to do with it? You've had friends who've thought that as they've watched some moral failure or some failure of kindness or some, somebody blowing up their temper all over somebody and spewing anger on them. If that's what a Christian is, I don't want it. Jose Ortega, the Spanish philosopher, says, tell me what you pay attention to and I'll tell you who you are. So who are you paying attention to? I have some personal faith heroes, people I've paid attention to in my life. Now, it's easy when you think of faith heroes to think of names that people recognize like Mother Teresa or, or, or Jimmy Carter, the president who still teaches Sunday school in, into his 90s. It's easy to think about Billy Graham. It's easy to think about Henry Now and her father, Greg Boyle, who spoke at commencement last spring nationally known people, but, but I think of faith heroes who've made a difference in my life that nobody really knows outside of a small circle of people. Somebody like Jerry Wells. I've mentioned Jerry before. She was my youth sponsor in the little church I attended in the inner city of, in the inner city of Chicago. And the thing about Jerry is she believed in students. And she believed that God could make a difference in our lives and through our lives. I remember once sitting at her kitchen table. She lived right next to the high school I attended. And on the way home, a couple of us stopped at her house. And she always had a ready supply of 7-Up and Coke. And I remember sitting there with Jerry. We were having a conversation. And she looked at me and with piercing eyes says, John, the Lord has more for you than you're letting him do for you right now. And she was right. I knew it. I was trying to fake it. But she saw through it. And her influence moved me. Wilbur Williams was a young professor when I was a young student here. He just retired last spring after 50 years of teaching at the university. He was articulate. He was thoughtful. He was joyful. He was positive. And I remember thinking, that's who I want to be like. People influence us in our lives. Not always are they ahead of us in, in age. Some, some of them walk alongside us right now. My brother is one of those influencers in my life. He's more than my biological brother. He's someone I talk to about life, faith, church, theology, parent, parenting, aging, all kinds of stuff. We just have conversations. And he has moved me forward in, in the faith because of our conversations. A guy named Bert McNaught. He has a daughter who attends here. He was a lifetime prayer partner with me and a lifetime uh, accountability partner with me. He's an engineer who loves Jesus and who walked life with me, and his influence has made me better. We're all influenced by others. The question is, in your environment right now, are the major influencers of your life positive when it comes to faith, or are they negative? Tell me who you pay attention to. And I'll tell you who you are or who you will become. What you're watching, who you're hanging out with, what you're reading, these all shape your life. And I have a radical suggestion to you. It's this. Choose your influencers based on where you want to end up in life. 
What if you chose your influencers based on what you, where you wanted to end up in life? We all naturally just sort of fall into our relationships. We, we have similar personalities or we live in the next room or we, we, like, we play the same games, video games, or we like the same sports or whatever it is. It's easy to fall into relationships and not all of those relationships with good. I can testify to that. I went through some struggling times in my college years because I'd picked some relationships that weren't all that healthy. I remember Patty tells me now that she says, I used to pray, Lord, get him away from, and then she would name two or three people. But where do you want to end up? Where do you want to be spiritually in five years or ten years? The decisions you make today will affect that. And I want to challenge you to evaluate yourself and your relationships and make some eternal decisions about immediate relationships that will help shape the rest of this year and next year, in the next two or three years. Choose your influencers based on where you want to end up in life. That may mean that you have to say, I'm spending less time with these folks, and I'm spending more time with those. But that's a decision you can make, and it's worth it if you want your life to matter for God. Here's a second thought. We all influence others. Somebody's looking at you. I'm not trying to freak you out. Not talking about obsessive stalker, dude. That's not it at all. But the people who hang around with you are influenced by your lives. The things you say, the attitudes you carry with you, it affects the people around you. Most of us don't think much about that. We just live our lives. But I want to challenge you this semester to be more intentional about the difference you make in the lives of others. Paul influenced a young guy named Timothy. Toward the end of Paul's life, he writes Timothy a letter. In 2 Timothy 2, he says, The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy influenced other people who influenced other people who influenced other people who influenced other people who influenced others down through the ages until someone influenced you. And what I would say is now it's your turn. We have this tendency, if we're not careful, to think about what we will do with our lives after we're out of college. Now I want to challenge you to think about the importance of your life right now. It's your turn to influence the people around you. Influence matters. How I live matters. That's a baseline you ought to set that says, you know, my life, my life makes a difference. It is significant. So how I live matters. So this is how I live. And I'll choose to make a difference. We're going to spend some time singing and worshiping at the end of this chapel service. We're going to tend some, spend some time praying. And when we break for prayer, I know that one of the most common prayers is, Lord, help me. It really is. And that's not an illegitimate prayer, by the way. We all need help. I prayed that this morning about this sermon. But I heard something over break that challenged me. I was driving in the car. I think I heard it on the radio. And, and uh, so I didn't write it down exactly because I was driving in the car. My mom had said, drive carefully. <laughs> it was this. If God answered every one of your prayers, would there be anything different in the world other than your own personal comfort. If God answered every one of your prayers, would there be anything different in the world other than your personal comfort? We're called to be influencers, 
to make a difference as we fill our lives with prayer. Let's remember to pray for those who need to be changed through watching us.